The church is living by the golden rule. The world and business community are living by the platinum rule. Now in John 13, Jesus shows up and supersedes both of them with what I'm going to call the titanium rule or the Jesus commandment. In John 13, Jesus has a very short ministry time, three and a half years. So he didn't build a church, he didn't write a book, and he did not develop a TV ministry. He poured himself into a team of men, incredibly different men. Turn to John 13, and we'll get started. John chapter 13. Now let me set this text up with a true story. A friend of mine was recently in Newark, New Jersey, trying to get out on a Friday night. They had canceled two flights. So he changed air carriers, and they changed terminals. So in making the change, when he arrived and checked in, he had about 20 minutes before his flight departed. He had had nothing all day to eat. He was starving. So he walked into the fast food area of the terminal, and every fast food store had a line. There was one that had nobody in line, and it was called, he said, pretzels. He happens to love soft pretzels with mustard, and they are very good. For us baby boomers with decaying, dying taste buds, we need ever-increasing stimulation. You know, anything to perk us up a little bit. But the point was, he loved soft pretzels, so he thought, this is great. When he walked up to the counter, the girl was laying on a cash register, apparently just waiting to make a sale. It seemed that way. Another girl was in the back of the oven baking the soft pretzels. So he walked up and was so happy nobody was in the line. He said, ma'am, I'd like a soft pretzel, any soft pretzel, please. Just don't dip it in butter. So she spoke in a foreign language to the girl back at the oven. And the girl at the oven spoke back to her in a foreign language he didn't understand. And the girl at the cash register then said, sir, I'm sorry. We don't serve pretzels without butter. He said, no, you don't understand. I'll pay for it, full price. Just please, when you hand it to me, don't dip it in the butter. So she spoke back to the girl at the oven. That girl spoke back in a foreign language to the cash register. And she said again to the man, sir, I'm very sorry. We don't serve pretzels without butter. Now he's totally flabbergasted. He said, ma'am, I've eaten in finer pretzel establishments than this, and I've never been refused a pretzel without butter. So finally, he said, here's a $5 bill. You keep the change. $2 pretzel, $3 profit. Just reach over on that tray, pick up any pretzel, any one of them, and just hand it to me. Don't dip it in butter. You keep the change. Now she's got a personal investment in this thing. So she goes back to the girl at the oven, and they have a committee meeting. Then they both come back to the cash register and the girl who's been cooking them stands erect, stiffens up, and says to the man in perfect English, I'm sorry, sir. We don't serve pretzels without butter. Totally astonished, he says, okay, you win. But why? Listen to her response. Sir, I cannot conceive of pretzels without butter, and I'm certainly not going to serve you one. Duh. 
he shook his head and walked away hungry. When I heard that story, I finally had an image in my mind of why the church has had such a problem in claiming this unchurched generation for Jesus Christ. Remember her words, Sir, I cannot conceive of pretzels without butter, and I'm certainly not going to serve you one. If it's good enough for me, it's good enough for you. This little girl was living by the golden rule, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. You remember the Sunday school song little kids learn, I got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. Well, I was taught J-O-Y is an acronym that means Jesus first, O was for others second, Y, you last, right? But who does the golden rule put first? Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. It puts you first. Now, the golden rule is an improvement on the silver rule. The silver rule said, do unto others as they have done unto you. That's an Old Testament, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. But the silver rule is an improvement on the iron rule, which says, do unto others before they do unto you. So the golden rule is a step up from the iron rule and the silver rule. But we've got golden rule Christians and golden rule churches. If it's good enough for me, it's good enough for you. That's the music that brought me to Jesus, so that'll be good enough to bring you to Jesus. That's the time length of a service that brought me to Jesus, so that'll be good enough for you. The Hammond organ, that was good enough for me, that'll be good enough for you. That's the presentation, that's the order, that's the day we met, that's the time we met, that's how long we met, that's the style we used. So if it's good enough for me, it'll be good enough for you. Anybody listening? Because I'm doing unto you as I'd have you do unto me. Tony Alexander is a highly paid business consultant. He coined in American business a new phrase called the platinum rule. Now, some of you have a platinum credit card in your wallet, and platinum trumps a gold card, right? Now, what is the platinum rule? The platinum rule, Burger King got it first. Anybody remember their little slogan, have it your way? Because in the day of fat, when I lived in California, when Ray Kroc bought McDonald's from the McDonald brothers, they didn't have any vision. They could not envision what they were doing as having any significant value at all. So he bought them out. They didn't get rich. Ray Kroc got rich. He had the vision. He was 57 years old when he got there. I'm almost there, honey. February, I'll be 57. So, John, that means we still got the potential to do something great. 57 years old, and he had had a lot of health problems, became a multi-billionaire with an idea he saw other guys doing, but thought they could do it even better, and he could franchise it. And those golden arches, when I first went to them, there's no such thing as a drive-through. Vacaville, California, you walk in, they'd give you a bag, six of them for a dollar. That was a long time ago, wasn't it? Yeah, it was a long time ago. Six of anything for a dollar would be a miracle today, but that's how they did it. And then every fast food store had it all systematized, and you had to take it the way they gave it to you. You couldn't say, I don't want any pickles, or hold the mayonnaise. They didn't do that. 
So finally, Burger King comes along, and one American entrepreneur of this British company gets the idea to get an edge on his competition. Have it your way. Oh, that really generated some competition. So you could get it cooked any way you want. You could get it spread any way you wanted. And it became that platinum rule because we live in a customer-centered, customer-driven world. And businesses and corporations that are succeeding aren't practicing the golden rule. It's not do unto others as you would have them do unto you. It's do unto others as they would have you do unto them. In fact, those corporations that are succeeding are practicing that rule. We were just in Sydney, Australia, and Richard Branson of Virgin Airlines out of London, that visionary entrepreneur, billionaire, has now invaded Australia and challenged that socialist, lousy, customer, no-service airlines that I have to fly on and hate. All the Aussies that come over here fly United. They don't even fly their own airline. Boy, they know nothing about customer service. Anyway, Richard landed, and he just launched Virgin Blue. He's got all new Boeing aircraft and a few Canadian Airbuses. Fantastic color. You know, Richard, he's spectacular and totally uninhibited. No tie, blue shirt, and happy, buoyant interview at 30,000 feet. We're watching it on television. And he's come in to kick right where it hurts. And he's launched $99 flights between Sydney and Brisbane. And he already has international flights. And for the first time, oh, it's going to have to change. Is the best view of the church I have ever seen in my life. And he is kicking the slats out of them and will tear open that market because of the vision and because of the competition. And he's going to give the customer what the customer wants. In fact, when I got on Virgin Airlines, they picked me up at my hotel in London, take me to the airport. I don't even get out of the car. They take my bags, check me in, get my boarding pass, passport, do it all for me, come back with my boarding pass, my passport, bags are gone. They drive me up to departure and let me off in the gate. Holy cow. If you've got to change air terminals, they drive you there. That's not an extra fee. That's the price of the ticket. That's my wife. So guess who I want to fly with? I'll be the best PR agent Richard Branson ever had. I never had anybody treat me like that. So I would have paid the same price to just be disrespected. I reminded that flight attendant, look, gal, I'm profit. You're overhead. You know, you can be replaced. If I walk, you're out of a job. But they don't get it. They're getting it now because they didn't have any competition. Now they got competition. So suck it to them, Richard. So the irony is the church is living by the golden rule. The world and business community are living by the platinum rule. Now in John 13, Jesus shows up and supersedes both of them with what I'm going to call the titanium rule or the Jesus commandment. There is no title for it, but he calls it a new commandment. In John 13, Jesus has a very short ministry time, three and a half years. So he didn't build a church, he didn't write a book, and he did not develop a TV ministry. He poured himself into a team of men. Incredibly different men. Well, you would ask, how different were they, Rick? I thought you'd ask that question, so I planned. 
on one extreme of this culture were the zealots. The zealots hated the Roman Empire. They hated the Roman government. They would kill Roman soldiers like an IRA terrorist would attack a British soldier if he could and kill him. And they, above all, despised collaborators. On the other extreme were the collaborators, the most hated of all, tax collectors, who betrayed their own race and people for the Roman government to extort taxes from you as a brother. It'd be like a brother extorting money from a brother for a pagan culture that's not even his own. So here's a Jew extorting money for the Roman government, hated from another brother Jew. So can you see how they were hated? So you got these two radical extremes. So who does Jesus put on his team? Simon Peter, the zealot, the IRA terrorist. Peter's always want to kill, sort out, want to kill. And then Matthew, the tax collector. Both extremes are brought together in Christ. A team of difference, but they had the same mind of Christ. I think that's important for us all to know. When God builds His church, we're all different. Now, we want to operate on value, moral, ethics, and Scripture, but we are different. So, you know, I may not dress like you. <laughs> Just thought I'd throw that in. I haven't got any robes. And I got no bumper stickers on my clergy. I don't want nobody to know. Because then I won't even get to talk to them. Okay, that's not right or wrong. It's just different. We got people with criminal backgrounds in here. Could be sitting next to you. Whom God has saved, you're safe. We got ex-laptop dancers in here. Would you believe that? I won't tell you. Yes, sir. We got, how many of you know God only saves bad people? What's wrong with you? We got thieves, people been in prison. We got rich people that have embezzled money. We got all kind of people in here. We all got high taste, low taste. Well, I don't think he ought to drive that kind of a car. What you think you ought to drive? A mule with a wagon? Would that make you happy? See, we're different. Some of you wouldn't let go of a nickel. Others are just liberal beyond work. We're different. We're different. We'll live with it. And so did Jesus. And on his team, he had frustration. He said one day, have I been with you guys so long and you still don't get it? I mean, he would just, he'd give them story, illustration, and his like, and the kingdom of God is like. And he said, now do you understand these things? And they would say, yea, Lord. Then they'd go right out and mess it up. He'd say, you didn't get a thing. You didn't understand a thing I said. Then one time he says, how dull you are. Another time he says, just get behind me. I can't take you anymore. So you can see his human frustration coming out of the God-man Christ Jesus. Even his humanity saying, this, this, are we ever going to make it with this group of guys? Well, they did. And in John 13, this is Jesus' farewell discourse. He's trying to hardwire the brains of his disciples, what little they have, with a truth. Here we go. John 13, verse 34. A new commandment. Everybody say new. New. This means this has not been on the deck before. This is totally new. We're going to supersede everything that's gone before. A new commandment I give you, that you love one another as I have loved you. Now pause, because a lot of you did not get that. 
It did not say, love one another as you would have them love you. It did not. In fact, I wouldn't want some of you to love me the way you love you because you don't like you. You'll kill me because you hate yourself. Well, you kill yourself, don't kill me. You hear what I'm saying? He didn't say that. He also did not say, love one another as they would have you love them. Nope, he didn't say that. He says, love one another, how? As I, Christ, have loved you. Now, verse 35. By this shall all men know you are my disciples, that you have love one for another. Not that you don't watch movies. Not that you don't, well, name all the rules. God knows there's 7,000 of them out there. They're not in the Bible, but they're out there. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus said, where I'm going, you can't follow me now. But you'll follow me later. Peter said, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for your sake. Jesus said to him, will you lay down your life for my sake? You won't even change your style of music. Excuse me. Most assuredly, I say to you, the rooster shall not crow till you have denied me three times. In John 14, he goes on to say in verse 50, if you love me, keep my commandments. Verse 21, he who has my commandments and keeps them is he who loves me. If anybody loves me, verse 23, he'll keep my word. Now go to John 15, verse 12. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Basically what I want you to see is that three or four times now Jesus has said, a new commandment I'm giving you. This is my commandment. He's trying to make certain they catch something. Now in verse 13, Jesus picks up a phrase of Peter and plays it back to him. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. Verse 17, these things I command you that you love one another. Can you just hear the repetition? Over and over and over. Now, Jesus has not got Alzheimer's. He hadn't forgot what he said. When he's repeating something, it's for emphasis. Take note of it. And so over and over, he is giving a new commandment to the church. They were to do unto others how? As Christ has done unto us. And how has Christ done unto us? He laid down his life. I call this the titanium rule, the Jesus commandment. Titanium's the hardest metal. It's also spiritually the highest rule to keep. The titanium rule is the Jesus commandment, that we are to do unto others as Christ has done unto us. And that's the commandment which the church is commanded to live by. Greater love has no man than to lay down his life for his friends. End of introduction. Now start the message. How many of you got little kids? Little kids. I got big kids. Little kids. Okay. How many of you got grandkids? Your grandparents got little ones. Little ones. Okay. And do you love them? You're supposed to love them. And would you die for them? Would you die for your kids? Most normal, sane parents would literally die for their child. Sure they would. Would you lay down your preference of music for your child? What are you looking at me strange for? You're afraid of where I'm going, aren't you? I know. You should be, because I am going there. Yeah. Oh, I'm going fast. Watch. I want to suggest to you, even though you said you'd lay down your life, they were all a bunch of Peters. Remember, he said, Lord, I'll lay down my life for you. And 
Now, I've never heard another preacher preach this. This emphasis I'm about to make now. Peter said that, but he betrayed Jesus. Well, he did betray Jesus, but not in that. You remember when they came to get Jesus? Who was it that first pulled out his sword? Peter. And whacked at the head and missed the guy got his ear. I mean, Peter said, okay, it's showtime. Let's rumble. And he was ready to die for Jesus, soared out into the fight, and Jesus had to stop him. So he would lay down his physical life. It's not the big things that trip us up, it's the little things. Peter would lay his life down for Jesus, but he wouldn't lay down his reputation in front of a little servant girl. That's how he betrayed the Lord. See, most of us would take a bullet to the head, deny Jesus, no, boom. That's not where we mess up. It's in the little things. See, will we lay down our reputation? Will the church lay down its reputation for the cause of Christ? Now, how do I know I'm keeping the Jesus commandment? How do I know I'm living by the titanium rule? Well, to understand the titanium rule, you've got to understand the veggie principle. Some person in America invented what are known now as veggie tales for children. Some of the most despicable creatures ever invented by human imagination. And this sick puppy comes up with the idea and he says, How can I get today's postmodern kids, 22nd century children? By the way, if you've got a child under 10, they're 22nd century children if they live a normal lifespan. They will go into the 22nd century. So this guy asked himself, how do I introduce Jesus to them? How do I introduce the Bible to them? So he comes up with the idea of talking vegetables. Bob the tomato, junior asparagus, Larry cucumber. And the music is horrible. Nasal pitched out of tune voices. No quality at all by an ex-rock and roll guy standard. I wouldn't have it. But some of you don't know what I'm talking about. So guys, hit the lights and I'm going to give you a two minute <laughs> video. I want you to see. Now that's got to be the worst music, the worst voices. That's definitely not Hillsong music, okay? That's not Tina Turner. That's not my style of music. But now watch. Every time a VeggieTale video comes out, a mom and a dad who hate it would never go buy one for themselves, ever, will walk into the store, reach in their wallet, and pull out a $20 bill, listen, and lay it down. They lay it down so their child can pick up a relationship and an association with Jesus and His Word. See, that's the whole idea. So the veggie principle is this. Loving parents... Loving grandparents are willing to turn their homes into a salad bowl for the sake of the gospel. I hope somebody's listening. So the veggie principle is this. How do you know if we're doing a good job in reaching another generation, an unchurched generation, somebody else for Christ? Well, do you like it? See, if you like it, who's it for? You. 
Veggie tales were not designed for me. Rick Godwin's generation ain't buying one of them unless I got a little kids. See? They were designed for three to ten year olds, but they aren't made for me. How do I know if I'm living by the titanium rule? How does the church know? By the degree to which you will literally lay down talent, treasure, that's money, and time for things you personally don't want anything to do with. If you can look at our church newsletter and you can't point to a couple of things going on in the church you don't want any part of, that you yourself would never attend in a million years, that you don't even understand, we just got a golden rule church living out a golden rule Christianity. Because what are we laying down? Jesus said, take up your cross. But if we're just doing what we like, we're just living for ourselves. Are anybody still there? See, what are you willing to give up? What are you willing to lay down to reach the ones God loves? Uh-huh. Oh, it's better than good. Just wait. Luke 23. Luke 23. Verse 32. Here's the crucifixion. I mean, we can't get people in 50 years to change the music. Change the time of service. Ain't none of that in the Bible. Not a word in the Bible. Not on length or style. It's not there. That's culture. And some of you would fight me over a non-provable issue that's not there. Well, I like. Well, I think. Well, I think we ought to have an hour and a half of praise and worship and go back to a four-hour service and 200 people. I kind of like having nearly 3,000 a whole lot better. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we had a good time. We did, but nobody else did. So they stayed away by the thousands. Now, I mean, you know, I can do some things I don't like. For example, you'd never catch me at a picnic. Anybody go to Labor Day picnic? I was there. But personally, I would never be there. Ever in a million years would I sweat with them gnats and flies and hot food and lies and hit volleyball and fall in the sand just to be nice to you. I wouldn't do it. In my nature, I'd never go. If it ain't got air conditioning, I ain't going. And I'm sure not going to go. I'll get on my wave runner and hit the lake. You can line up for all that food. I ain't lining up for that food. Now, I lay it down for the sake of other people. I've never been to a home group meeting. And if I ever do, I've knocked on the wrong door. I'm not there <laughs> on purpose. I made a mistake. I don't go. But I offer what I don't do and I'll lay it down if it helps pull people together, building relationships. You know? And it's great to go three hours, but if ain't nobody else coming, I don't mind cutting it to an hour. What? To reach more. I hope you're listening. That's what the titanium rule is. The church hasn't got it. Please. They don't have this message. They are living for themselves. Some of you can go back to Philadelphia. You've been gone for 25 years. They're still playing the same song. Still got the same style. The same phrase. Nothing's changed. Neither has the crowd. They're just as ineffective as they've ever been. And yet the culture is what we're supposed to reach. Well, Luke 23. Verse 32, here's the crucifixion. Then there were two other criminals with Jesus to be put to death. And when they had come to the place called Calvary, they crucified him. 
criminals, one on the right hand and one on the left hand. Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. And they divided his garments and cast lots. And the people stood looking on. Even the ruler sneered, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself, if he is the Christ, the chosen of God. And the soldiers mocked him, offering him sour wine, saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. An inscription was written over him in letters of Greek, Latin, and Hebrew. This is the king of the Jews. Then one of the criminals who were hanged blasphemed him, saying, If you are the Christ, save yourself and us. But the other thief said, rebuking him, Do you not fear God, seeing we are in the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. I'd like to suggest that the conversation going on between Jesus and the two thieves, and between the two thieves among themselves, is basically the same conversation going on in our culture today. And the same issues these two thieves are struggling with are the same issues that are obsessing our world. This thief to whom Jesus says, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise, symbolizes the church. Here's the first convert in heaven. The other thief remains outside the kingdom. He demands more than just show and tell. To him it's not show me stories of Jesus or tell me a story of Jesus. For him it's kiss me if you love me. He represents the lost of our culture. So on either side of Jesus are two extremes. Because in postmodern culture, opposite things are happening at the same time that are not contradictory. For example, the rich are getting richer, the poor are getting poor. And which two groups is the church least prepared to deal with? The rich and the poor. In America, homes are getting bigger. Family size is decreasing. Opposite things happening at the same time that are not contradictory. We live in the culture of double rings. For example, new drug comes out, TV. Great benefit. Buy this drug. Ask your doctor. Here's the name. We'll grow hair. We'll increase muscle mass. Improve bone density. Stop leaky bladder. Give you more time to drive and go to the movie with your husband and wife. And improve your sexual potency, etc., etc., in the same sentence, on the same commercial, now it shifts, why not buy it? Hair will fall out, liver damage, stroke, bowel dysfunction, and all the reasons. One side, buy it. On the other side, don't buy it. We're living in the culture of opposites at the same time. Now, let me close with an illustration from history that I got off the History Channel. In Europe today, you can go see the abbeys and the cathedrals, and a few in America that had the old traditional churches with steeples. And in those steeples were bells. You remember? We have an expression in sports, saved by the bell. Has nothing at all to do with sports. Nothing. The origin of that phrase, saved by the bell, came out of 18th century England around 1750. Churches had graveyards adjacent to them in those days. A terrible plague struck Europe, spreading through the UK, and even came to America all the way to the West Coast, and it was never cured. 
and I asked some of our doctors about it. This was not the bubonic plague. This was an influenza, some kind of a quick-killing virus for which they never cured it. It just ran around the world and burned itself out. Doctors are now exhuming decomposed bodies of those who died of that plague to see if DNA tests could give them an antibody for that plague if it ever came again because it was never identified or cured. It destroyed one-third of the global population. One-third, and I didn't even learn about it in school. I had to watch History Channel to find out about it. Didn't even know, some of you waiting on the book of Revelation. A, thir a third already died, and we didn't even know it. Didn't even get taught. I have to watch a History Channel to find out what's going on in the world. They didn't teach me anything in school worthwhile. The point was, they were dying so fast they had no legal requirements to bury people, nor did they have good technology for determining somebody was dead. So here's the problem. They're burying them so fast that the graveyard's filled up. Now they've got to re-exhume the bodies and dig them deeper to bury more people. And when they did, they discovered people in the coffin with hunched backs and claw marks, meaning they had unintentionally buried some people alive. It became the number one fear of the 18th century, being buried alive. George Washington was so afraid of it, he wrote in his will that he was not to be buried for five days. It was a big deal back then. Are you with me? So the trustees of these graveyards had to figure out what to do. So before they buried you, they would tie a string to your ankle or to your wrist and run that string from the coffin up to the top of a gravestone on which was attached a bell, sometimes called a clapper. And when somebody who was buried alive woke up and realized what had happened, what would they do? Ring the bell. Here's the ultimate room service, but they'd ring the bell. And people would rush to dig them up. They became known as dead ringers. That's where the phrase came from. Don't get mad at me because you didn't know. That's where it came from. That's where it came from. Now, that was good for the daytime when people were all around. But what do you do at night when there's nobody around? The trustees hired people to sit in the graveyard all night and listen for the bell. That's where another phrase began. If you accepted that employment, you worked on the graveyard shift because you were literally in the graveyard. Had nothing to do with industry. And so the whole idea was protecting people who got buried alive. In 1895, there was a book called Buried Alive, documenting 750 people who were literally saved by the bell. Now, I tell you the story because I want to end where I began. A lot of our churches have bells, but they're quiet. They don't ring anymore. In fact, if you do get any bells, it's a bell choir, and they, they play to the saints. The biggest bell ringer of all time was Jesus the Christ. Once and for all time, in the powerful resurrection from the dead, he rang that bell. And life triumphed over death. And hope triumphed over despair. And truth triumphed over lies. And the bell was rung. But why aren't our bells ringing today? Well, we don't even have them anymore. Folks, we have an entire culture outside these walls being buried alive today. Buried alive in addictions, and some we never had before. Internet sex addictions. 
We've got a culture buried alive in poverty, buried alive in affluence, buried alive in violence. Our culture is ringing bells all the time. But the problem with the church is we've hooked up our strings to the wrong feet. We've hooked up our bells to good people, to the church crowd instead of the world. God said, for God so loved the world. My question is, why can't the church? A church in Rogers, Arkansas, refused to allow a man with a ponytail and tattoos all over his arms, chest, and neck to come into the sanctuary. An usher said, we can't allow these tattoos in here. For God so loved the world. A mother refused to allow her daughter to wear a ring in her navel by threatening to cut off her college tuition. Yet the same mother spent $15,000 for a facelift. You want to talk about serious body modification? Let's talk about a facelift. I mean, a navel ring ain't nothing compared to that and the risks inherent in that. Breast augmentation goes on in the church every day, but no navel ring. Look at that old hussy behind the cafeteria. I can't believe she pierced her eyebrow. And mother done got silicone injections and then got face lift and tummy tuck. I told you you wouldn't like this. Rita Rutner, a writer, writes this funny line that goes, for you girls, the best prospects of all girls are men with earrings. Marry one if you can find one. Because they're not afraid of pain and they've already bought jewelry. <laughs> but no, we don't want people with dirty things, nasty things, pierced things in our churches. But if anybody ought to be able to move them from pierced noses and pierced tongues and pierced ears and pierced navels to the one who had pierced hands and pierced feet, it ought to be us, the church. Amen? But. We've hooked up our bells to us. We're going to try to save us. Church is for us. And Jesus said, if you want to save yourself, you got to be willing to lose yourself. Lay down your life so others can pick up a relationship with Christ. So our call, I've said it a hundred times, it's just another way to say it. Our call is not to good people. I ain't after church people. It's after buried, alive suffocating people in our culture who are out there screaming with aberrant behavior, help, I'm suffocating. I'm rich, but I ain't happy. I got women, but I'm not satisfied. I got things, but I'm still not happy. I'm addicted, I can't get free. I'm in bondage to my addiction. For God so loved the world. Why can't we? So here's what I'm telling you. As we keep transitioning, we're not what we used to be. And we won't be what we are in the next decade. Music will change. Time will change. Presentation will change. Video spots. Everything's going to get more sophisticated and more geared to the unchurched, not you. You have got to understand, Jesus said, if you love me, lay down your life. And the churches that won't grow will be people who save themselves. We're here for us what we like, but nobody else is being impacted. I think it's a criminal felony. And I think that's why some of you got to get over that religious spirit of yours that says church has to be this way because that's the way I came in. That was your generation. That's not that generation. 
And we're going to be effective since the culture keeps changing. Methods keep changing. The message is sacred. The message never changes. The packaging flat better. Ain't nobody going to eat it, huh? So that's what we're here for, to change our world and make a difference in this world. Bow your head.